Welcome. I'm your host, Roger Tucker. I'm a native of Newark, New Jersey. I'll be interviewing artists, historians, authors, and other cultural thought leaders to discuss the cultural impact and influence that Newark has had and continues to have on their lives and work. Working at the forefront of genderqueer visual politics for more than four decades, photographer Lola Flash's work challenges stereotypes and gender, sexual, and racial preconceptions. An active member of ACT UP during the time of the AIDS epidemic in New York City, Flash was notably featured in the 1989 Kissing Doesn't Kill poster. Their art and activism are profoundly connected, fueling a lifelong commitment to visibility and preserving the legacy of LGBTQIA and communities of color worldwide. Flash has work included in important collections such as the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, MoMA, the Whitney, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, and the Brooklyn Museum. They are currently a proud member of the Kamoinge Collective and on the board of Queer Art. Flash received their bachelor's degree from Maryland Institute and master's from London College of Printing in the UK. Flash works primarily in portraiture, engaging those who are often deemed invisible. Flash's practice is firmly rooted in social justice advocacy around sexual, racial, and cultural difference. So, Lola Flash, welcome to What's Nort Got to Do With It? Thank you very much, Roger. So, Lola, let's get started. Um, please share your photography practice journey. Where and when did it start? So I can't really remember when because I was really little when I first got my, uh, when I got, so I'm going to just like, uh, I really can't even remember the exact year, mm-hmm. um, but it would have been in the 60s when I got my first camera, which was a little Minox. Um, and I loved that little camera. I carried it everywhere. You know, of course, I come from a generation where there was no digital, so we didn't have small cameras then. And that, that was, I think, kind of, to me, I felt like it looked like it was a spy camera or something, you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I took pictures of my fish tank. You know, I grew up with my mom mostly in, in um, apartment buildings, mm-hmm. so we couldn't really have animals. So, you know, I took pictures of my fish tank. I, um, you know, I was lucky enough to go skiing, and so I would take it along and go when I went skiing. Uh but I wouldn't say that I was actually creating work that was particularly political or um, as informed as my work is now. I mean, saying that, I do kind of believe that in order, if, if one is Black in America, that pretty much everything you do is political. So I suppose, but it wasn't like, it was just sort of like random photographs you know um and uh i so i suppose really like once we got into the 70s and i started going to high school um my mom got me a i believe it was a yashica 35 millimeter camera and the the cool thing was that she bought me a dark room so i was able to yeah i was able to set up a dark room um and my then i had a boyfriend then believe it or not uh he had a he lived in Upper Montclair and they had extra rooms and extra bathrooms and such. So I set up in their, their base, their attic um, bathroom. And uh, I had so much fun. I mean, in the beginning, I had no idea what the heck I was doing. You know, the prints were coming out all gray because I had the light too close to everything. And, you know, but there's nothing like learning by making mistakes, you know. And so I think that the darkroom experience was the thing that really kind of made me think, oh my God, I love this. You know, I always, it was always kind of like a, you know, like a third hand in a way. It's like, I always felt like I always had a camera in my hand, uh, but the uh, darkroom experience was really what got me going. Right. right. So then I ended up going to college. So, you know, in my school in, in Montclair, uh, where I grew up, grew up at uh, Montclair high during that time, it wasn't like, are you going to high school? Are you going to college? It was like, where are you going to college? Right. That was kind of how I grew up. And, um, you know, I had no idea. I, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. 
But I thought I'm going to be a photographer. You know, I thought, gosh, uh, if I wait until I can afford to do this, you know, I'm going to be like old, which I am now. <laughs> um, but, you know, I really wanted to, to practice photography right away. And so I decided to go to, um, well, to be honest with you, the long story is that when I went to college, I was thinking that I wanted to be a, a medical photographer. So I love the way that images looked that were photographed through a, a, um, a microscope. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just so kind of colorful and abstract, like abstract paintings. Um, and I also had an interest in science and my dad was a math teacher. So those were really two strong kind of core subjects of, of mine. Uh, but after my first year in, co- uh, in college uh, at Loyola, um, I I couldn't make the jump somehow um, academically to the science classes. And um, luckily I was in Baltimore. And so I ended up transferring my first term to Maryland Institute of Art, which was amazing, you know, because um, I didn't know it at the time, but I really wanted to be a fine artist. Yeah. Oh, great. And so, of course, whenever you start any type of practice, you, you know, you think of subject matter, you think of technique, um, and you are known primarily, I would say, for portrait photography. Did Was that something that developed in college? Was that something that developed later in your, in your practice? Yes, I, uh, there was this, um, my, one of my fellow students named Cindy Heidel. Um, she just had the coolest look. Uh, she worked at a thrift shop, so she had all these amazing clothes. And she's just one of those kind of people that knows how to put things together, you know. Um, and so I just really, so she was kind of like my first muse. And she would do all kinds of things, you know, like we'd be on railroad tracks or she would, she wouldn't, she'd have high heels on and she would stand on planks and things, you know, she was really fearless. Uh, so that's when I really sort of got, I think that that was really the thing that got me into that mm-hmm. practice. Uh, but also, you know, um, I didn't, I don't feel like I saw myself in landscapes, the work that I saw that I you know, was attracted to were more cityscapes um, where, you know, I guess you sort of see in urban environments, you see black people, but in landscapes, not so much, you know? Um, So I think that that was another thing that pulled me towards photography. Um, And then of course, you know, I think that when you're in college, it's like, I don't know about you, but I feel like, I kind of grew up kind of overnight and I, I realized like all the problems of the world and, and you know, I re- I mean, I, I always knew about the problems. Right. But I, I guess I realized, OK, so now I'm a photographer. So now I have this tool that I can use to help address a lot of these issues. And when I was a youngster, I, I really was not very uh, vocal. Uh, I'm still a little shy personally. Um, I know. Right. <laughs> uh, it's. I mean, if you get me talking about photography, I can talk to the next century, but just like chit chat at, at parties, is that's not my style, you know? And so I realized that I could actually use my photography to talk about the things that were bothering me in the world. Um, but, you know, with that said, it's really interesting because I go back to Baltimore now, I've done talks and shows and stuff. And, um, you know, I see that, I see the blackness of Baltimore. And I was not a part of that. I sort of, you know, I suppose like many college students, I stayed within the, you know, sort of walls of the school, so to speak. And when I look at some old photographs from, from you know, like the 70s, for instance, when I was there, I think, oh, my God, these wonderful shots of, you know, beautiful black women sitting on, on the stoops, you know, the, the sort of famous stoops that they have in Baltimore. Um, and I, I realized that that was kind of something I kind of missed out on in, in some ways. Um, but I think that, I think that some colleges, that's kind of like how some colleges work, you know, it's almost like when you go on holiday and you, you sort of buy that package and you, you don't end up actually going to see, 
the place, you know, you sure, see nothing sure. but the inside of the, of, you know, you know, and see the actual people. Uh, so it kind of felt like that to me. Yeah, I, I would imagine, again, in different times of our lives, this idea of why am I here? What am I going to do while I'm here? And then revisiting that space and saying, wow, there were some other opportunities. But, you know, fortunately, I mean, I think for for art students, it's it's really about you know, focus, you're thinking about career, you're thinking about, you know, after, after college. So it's not until I think you are um, possibly in your career, you're in another place, you know, another mindset that you revisit a place. And that's, that's the great thing about travel. You know, hmm. we think we know the place that we either grew up in or the place that we have visited, but um, our, our lens changes. And it helps inform our practice in a way that it might not have been able to earlier. So Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I mean, I think in some ways I got kind of lucky because I started doing the cross-color work. Um, and that was totally due to not having the right equipment, um, you know, using the wrong paper. I was photographing using slide film. I think at that time it was Kodachrome. And um, and that had all to do with my grandfather. He introduced me to a National Geographic photographer who uh, lived in our hometown and he had me over. And, I, you know, I, I was like, how did you how do you get those beautiful colors? And he said, you know, he, that they use color film. So, again, you know, we're going back. They don't use that anymore, obviously. But uh, that, you know, I just always have had even though I always wear black, I've always had this fascination with color, like take me to like the West Indies or some like Florida. Mm -hmm. And I just go crazy with all the colors of the buildings and the flowers, you know, the fauna. Um, and so um, you starting to do that cross color. And then my teacher saying to me, like, what on earth are you doing, Lola? Uh, you know, I had to come up with something that sounded academic and believable. Okay. You know, And so that having that palette, which was the reverse palette, made me think about color, about my color, and about all the kinds of myths around color. You know, the obvious ones like the black cat, right? Yeah. So in my photographs, if I, if I, in, uh, in my photographs when I was doing cross-color style, if I photographed a, a black cat, it would be white. Mm -hmm. So then white people became black and black people became white, right? Mm -hmm. And so just totally changing the narrative, really removing this sort of binary idea of color away. And I realized I could then make people green, orange and blue. So it was really changing the way that people looked at, at my photographs, at people um, and sort of I think it helped in some ways it kind of helped with the prejudice around Black people, around queer people, around women, mm -hmm. you know, around gender, um, because sometimes, you you know, it's really kind of sometimes it had almost this kind of uh, collage like look. So you're not really sure what you're looking at. Um, what, one of the series I did was uh, I didn't title it this, but it was based on people picking their noses. Because it was something that kind of always grossed me out. And especially when I have a car, it seems like in cars, people seem to do it a lot. And um, I always thought, you know. Like, you know how we, and those artists, we have like a list of things that we're going to do eventually. And so I finally did, did it. Um, it didn't work out in cars, but what I did was I went in front of like the high museum, like when I lived in Atlanta um, and all these different other sort of important, you know, monumental places. And I had people picking their noses, but in my photographs, it just looked like maybe they were touching their face or, you know, so it was kind of like a little funny joke, but mm -hmm. even something like that, you know, it was just really like, there were some parts of it that was very serious, but then there were also some parts that was really kind of fun. And I suppose in college, I was really sort of playing around with a lot of the more fun things. Sure. So this cross-color um, project or a series, that was very early in your, in your career? Yes. Yes. I developed that in um, probably the first or second year I was in college. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the story goes, my dad used to meet me here in New York um, and, uh, you know, um, 
have to say I'm a little spoiled. And so he would get me all the things I needed. Um, and um, the Cibrachrome paper was just so expensive, you know, and he'd buy me a box and it was very temperamental. I don't know if you ever worked with Cibrachrome before, but it's, it was really very temperamental. So I would probably, you know, after the first night in the dark room, probably have gone through the whole paper, whole box of paper. And I just did not have the courage to ask my dad for any more. Uh, so I started using the paper that was there. So I was printing my color slides onto negative paper. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I did that work for 20 years. Um, wow. And um, no one seemed to care much about it. Everyone said, Lola, you're still making those weird colors. And I was like, yes, I sure am. So, yeah, for 20 years, I did that basically to the end of last century. Um, and then that's when I went to I went back to college. I was in London and I went back to get my master's about 20 years after my bachelor's. And uh, I decided that it was time for me to, to start working in a different way. Um, but I'm not sure if you know, Roger, but that work is uh, well, it was, it was just recently hanging in the um, in MoMA. Um, they acquired seven of my cross-colored pictures. Um, and uh, probably by the time this comes out, it'll be official that the uh, Whitney also bought six of them. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's, I think particularly for female artists, I think particularly for queer artists, um, and of course, Black artists, you know, the journey is is definitely not predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, and one has to really believe in I mean, I, I believed for so many years that I, I the work I was doing needed to be seen. Um, and even if it wasn't seen, you know, I was actually kind of the artist who, like I said, my work is a lot of the work, you know, the analog work is under my bed. And I really kind of wanted to be like, you know, Vivian Meyer and, and found, you know, the work found when I when I passed away. I mean, that was my my kind of ideal way of, of the work getting out there in the world, because I, I just didn't have. I wasn't really so convinced about museums. I mean, now now I am because museums are really changing, um, just like the world. I mean, progress is happening. And I think that I'm a fine example of, of that progress that's happening. And yes, a lot of the progress has happened because of Mr. Floyd's killing, right? And so I do think that the museums and institutions are looking at the gaps, you know, in their institutions and, and they're doing something about it. And, you know, I'm not going to be like, well, where were they, you know, 20 years ago? Sure. Uh, you know, I'm, I think that for me, this is a good time for me to be seen. I don't think I would have been able to, you know, like I think when you're really, when you're really hungry for something, you sure. really make some really good work. When you're just sitting around like in your Chanel slippers, <laughs> you know, it's not really, I, I don't think you really have that. Uh, the work doesn't have that integrity or, you know, you just don't have that burning inside of you. You right. know, it's just like waiting to a deadline to have a show. And then you, just, you create this work that's just like, you don't have time to go back, you know? So it's just, it's it, you know what I mean? Sure. So I think that, I think for me, uh, the lag in in my work being uh, part of, a big part of the art world what was personally good for me. Now, you know, yes, there are a lot of black, black uh, young photographers and queer young photographers uh, and female young photographers who have, who still are in these institutions and are still learning mostly about white male photographers. Mm-hmm. So I feel bad for those folks. Um, sure. Hopefully, you know, the next generation will be able to see the work that I've done. And, you know, I mean, Clement from MoMA, you know, he said um, so what they did was, so their prints, these pictures are just kind of like one of a kind. So they made a scan of the print and they actually exhibited the, the, the print not the real picture. Okay. Um, Cause he's, and he's, you know, Clement, uh, the new curator at MoMA said, you know, we want these things to be around for like 500 years. And, you know, with that, I almost fainted, you know, just, I'm, I'm, I was like, gosh, I'm going to be like all those old white artists, like Michelangelo, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm joining the canon. Well, he'll, he'll, he'll be a more. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. 
It feels good. Very exciting. I'm not really sure where that question, what that question started off as, but <laughs> no, no, we, we're here. We're right where we need to be. I was gonna. The next question I was gonna ask you is, you know, you've been working at the forefront of gender queer visual politics for more than thirty three three decades, actually. What's different about your practice now versus when you started being actively involved, both creatively and politically? Um, I mean, I suppose it's really been four decades now. I actually, I just, I finally just kind of changed my bio. Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe that it's been about a four decade journey at this mm -hmm. point. And I would say that politically, my work has, has stayed on course. Okay. I, I've always been exploring uh, and focusing on racism, sexism, homophobia, and now transphobia. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny, like my cross-color work, I didn't see how that how that kind of fit in with my new work because I was shooting four by five. It's like it was normal color. Politically, my work has definitely stayed stayed on course. You know, I've been exploring. And focusing on racism, sexism, homophobia, and now transphobia, mm -hmm. um, and even ageism, actually. Um, and each series kind of speaks to like one or two of those kinds of themes. Um, so I do think that creatively, um, I, I believe that I have changed in some ways, you know, I suppose maybe like more technically thinking about, uh, you know, starting off with a 35 millimeter camera and color film and then moving into uh, four by five. Uh, and I still was, I still shot when I shoot four by five, I still shoot with uh, slide film, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes 550 ASA or 100, which is ridiculous because four by five film, you don't really need to have that kind of thing, but you know, I kind of, for all my life, I, I kind of, you know, life is hard for Black folks, as you know. And uh, so I made, I always have made my work, the things that I, I do, the way that I do it really hard, right? Because I just want to prove, you know, like when I first started out, there weren't many women photographers, right? And so I didn't want to have a, um, an assistant because I was like, I can do all of this. I can pick this up. I can, you know, I, once I started getting an assistant, I was like, what was wrong with you, girl? <laughs> you know, but there was just this need to really just show everyone like I can do it all, you know. Um, and so now I'm actually shooting um, with a, a digital camera. And for many years, I would go into like the different photo stores and they'd say, Lola, you know, there's something called digital and I'm like, what's that? What are you talking about? Digital? What's that? <laughs> and um, yeah, because I just love my four by five camera. You know, the work that I do, the, the portraits I do in particular um, are about beauty and about pride. And so when you have, you know, this four by five camera sitting in front of, uh, you know, your sitter, you know, they're, if they're slouching, as soon as you get ready to take that picture, they're going to sit up nice and straight, you know, and they're going to exude this sense of power. They're going to, you know, kind of, I think visually they're going to just embody the sort of grandness of this event. Uh, and I think especially with um, a, a cell phones and us taking selfies, I mean, I'm, I'm also uh, guilty of taking a lot of selfies, uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's not, that's not what I was, what I have been doing all of my life, right? I've been working towards making sure that people realize that all the folks I photograph are beautiful and wonderful and, should be seen in all their glory. Um, so yeah, so that's pretty much how things have changed and how ha things have not changed. And, and how they stayed the same. It's interesting yeah. with the um, cross color series, it reminds me of where we are now when you think about illustrated uh, people uh, in children's books or uh, or in, even in children's shows, the characters are green, orange, yellow, pink. So kids don't have to think about, oh, they're like me or they're different. They're just, you know, they're just fun. And so you, you, I think you sort of uh, knew without knowing that this idea, we're all human. We just happen to be a certain color. What if we are a different color? 
does that make us a different person? Not really. Um, so I, I think it was it's very interesting that you did that so early in your practice and in your career. And we've sort of caught up to you. <laughs> well, I am Aquarius, so we're kind of for being futuristic. And uh, uh, I hadn't thought about, about that parallel, but, but I love that. And um, yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I also wanted to have, uh, I wanted to be able to blink my eye and take a picture when I was very little. I, I would, and, um, and then I would, you know, when I would leave the house, I would stand at the door and be like, should I take my camera? Shouldn't I take my camera? Should I? You know, I had like a five, 10 minute dialogue with myself. And so now, you know, we have cell phones and I, I sort of, you know, I never really like, I don't have regrets, but in some ways I think, man, I wish I would have like talked to someone about that and like, you know, started the whole cell phone. And because I definitely had that idea blinking being a picture. I just thought that would be so cool. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I you've done a variety of portraiture projects or series. Um, What was possibly your earliest portraitures or portrait series? And then what's the most recent? What inspired each of them? Well, my earliest portrait series would be my surpassing series. Uh, I started that at the beginning of the century at when I was at London College of Printing. Uh, I think think it's called London College of Communication now. And um, it was with the four by five. I actually wasn't sure what camera I wanted. So I photographed with all kinds of cameras, uh, all formats and also uh, black and white and color. And uh, once I got the image, you know, I knew that that's what it was about. But the surpassing had to do with, every series has to do with an event that happened. And that's what I love about, for me, the photography for me is is very, um, it can be very healing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every, when I lived in London, everyone kept, calling me, you know, they'd say, you know, the mixed race girl. And I stamp and say, I'm not mixed race, you know, white skin. My Both my parents are black, you know. And in London, of course, you see you have more people that look like me who, who do have biracial parents, right? Okay. And so, um, so it really started making me think about, you know, after about the sort of 20th time, you know, it, you know, it made me think like, well, actually you are mixed race you know in america we just don't look at it that way do we we're just called african-americans and so um, back in you know when i was a kid we were fully aware my cousins and i were fully aware that my grandmother used to pass uh when she would go get the train tickets for instance uh we have uh roots in charlottesville virginia and so uh you know grandma would buy tickets coming back up north she would send my my mom and her sister outside to play because um, they had nappy hair. <laughs> and, uh, you know, grandma had like blonde, blue, sorry, my grandmother had red hair and freckles and she was very, very fair. So she would just get the t- tickets there in the, in the white lines compartments, but uh, just you know um and so it didn't dawn on me until i got to london that although i wasn't purposely passing that in fact my skin color might have been part of why my life kind of looked the way it does you know why i was able to pretty much get a job and you know i'm sure education and you know my parents taught me um how to be polite and how to have manners and those kinds of things so i'm sure those kinds of things helped but you know, I wonder how much just opening the door and being light skinned. Sure. So then I felt so guilty. I was just like, cause I wasn't like, I wasn't the light skinned girl that was just like, I'm so cute. You know, cause there, there are in high school, I remember there were those kinds of girls, but that wasn't me. I was just hoping not to, you know, in high school, I was figuring out my, my sexuality. And I really was just doing my best to just be like a fly on the wall. You know, my mom would 
push me to go to parties and I would just be like, oh, my God, please don't let a, a slow song come on. I don't want to dance with the boys. You know, I was like, Ugh. Right, right. Um, but yeah. And so I thought I'm going to do this series about skin color and I'm going to make these portraits where it's going to be like a, a spectrum of beautiful color from light brown all the way to, to dark brown. Um, and then I then I realized, you know, so that's 20 years ago. It's hard to believe. Um, but then I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to actually. Uh, like I used to think, where am I going to exhibit this? And I used to think a football field, you know, for you to get the sort of continuum. Um, but then I realized that uh, the best place would be the Guggenheim so that I would start off with the light skin portraits at the bottom and slowly twirl up to the top and have the dark skin people at the top to visually change that narrative of, you know, dark being bad, light being good to be, to be simple, simple about it. You know, I mean, cause you know, my dad, my great grandfather, they were all like your color or darker, you know what I mean? And so, and you know, I mean, anyone who's from a black family in America, we, we, our skin color runs the gamut, but you know, well, I have during the um, during photographing in the surpassing series, you know, it, it was a time for me to talk to some of my models um, and ask them about their experience. And, you know, there's the one who's light skin and the dark, the, the sister's dark skin and and the, the sort of animosity that's created from that. You know what I mean? And so um, now I'm putting more and more uh, well-known people like Skip, right? Henry, Henry Louis Gates Jr. is in it, my buddy. Um, Carrie Mae Williams. For about 11 years, I've been working on Deborah Willis. Uh, so um, the, the series continues. Um, it's here in New York. A lot of the rooftops are, you don't we don't have access to because of 9-11. Sure. So um, I live in, I mean, I'm on the 33rd floor, but um, it's it's public housing. So we're not allowed to use the roof. So um, so that project is continuing but slowly What did what do you mean by that title, surpassing? So you can see I have it tattooed on my arm. Yes, surpassing. Yes. So uh, my friend, uh, actually, I was going to speak about her later on, but I'll talk about her now. Uh, Renee Masai, who is a uh, sort of head curator at Autograph uh, ABP in London, uh, she was doing her undergraduate class. Uh, she was doing her undergraduate photography course. And I was doing my graduate. And so we became friends and she is and was a real big book person, um, great writer. And, um, you know, I said, I want this to be about passing, you know. So I, I think that was like the, the title in the beginning was passing. Mm -hmm. And then she said, you know, why don't you call it surpassing, like above passing. Mm -hmm. Right. So this idea that we don't have to pass anymore. We don't have to straighten our hair or, or, you know, I mean, I think in some ways it's, it's a little bit idealistic. And I think that as an artist, we have this sort of cachet to be able to be um, idealistic. Why not? Yeah. You know, um, because yeah, I mean, but, but in actuality, we know, I mean, I, I fall into it when I'm go out, um, you know, I'll often put a button down shirt on just because with the Mohawk people, you know, I don't know what people think <laughs> when they see me right. um, and then with the tattoos. So, you know, I throw on a, a, a button down shirt and I look air quotes, respectable, Absolutely. you know? And so that's, that's what it means. It means that we're above, we're above it. And, you know, ideally, eventually we will be above it. I don't know if it's going to be in my lifetime, but, uh, you know, when I started this project, I never thought we were going to have a black president. You know, who? There you go. I I absolutely agree. I you know? agree. Um, you know, you you recently participated in the Smithsonian's Queer Space podcast interview, where you discussed how you and other queer artists contextualize 
the origins of the intersection of space, queerness, and futurism in art. What specific project of yours investigates this idea of queerness and futurism? So that was a real surprise. Um, the Leslie Lohman Museum here, actually, uh, Stamatina, who's the head, uh, encouraged the air and space folks to reach out to me. So that was really, uh, yeah, I'll just say a, a surprise. Um, so the project I've been doing that that I, I talked about a lot in that in that interview was my Syzygy, the Vision Project. Um, it's based on Afrofuturism, and you know I think that for me Afrofuturism is something I've always thought about. You know, thinking about like Sun Ra, for for instance, and. Yeah. Um, uh, Janelle Monet, Missy Elliott, there's so many musicians who, who um, I could list that are, are sort of part of that expansive, beautiful narrative. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I started Suzuki actually because uh, Jayashri, um, a curator who did a bunch of shows at the Ford Foundation, um, encouraged me to be a part of her Afrofuturist show. And she's, you know, I had like two weeks to get something together. And I happened to be on my way to the uh, Center for Photography at Woodstock Residency Program, which I believe we saw each other up right. there. Yeah. I don't know if it was when I was doing my residency, but I believe that I remember meeting you in Woodstock. It was during your residency. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. And so um, I wasn't really planning on doing um, any photo much photography. I was really there because I wanted to uh, mostly um, just research, uh, reset. Um, and, uh, so anyway, I ended up, you know, the first day I'm up there, I'm like, okay, let me find some different locations. I mean, the first thing I did was I bought a helmet, a space helmet speaking to the future. Um, and then, I mean, this sounds probably like a stylist, but, you know, I noticed that it had an orange trimming on it and I thought, oh, okay, I, I have these orange prison uniforms that I could use um, because the incarceration system here in America has really been, the exponential rate of people that look like us is just astounding and gross. Um, and so it's, it's definitely been heavy on my mind. I have a bunch of different um, prison uniforms in my bedroom. Uh, anyway, uh, and then I, I thought, okay, I've got to get handcuffs, right? thinking about freedom or the lack of. And um, then, you know, I get to, to Woodstock and I'm like, now who, who am I going to photograph? And, you know, I kind of looked in the mirror and I, I, I was like, well, I guess it's going to be you, Blanche, because there aren't really many black people, as you know, in, in Woodstock. A lot of nice people though, really not. I wish some of them would spread out to the rest of the world, but um, <laughs> um, so that's how I ended up being a self-portrait project. Um, and that was 2019. So, you know, just months before COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a kind of just a really lucky beginning to that project because, uh, well, to be honest with you, I really haven't done much photography of other folks since the pandemic. Right. Um, I did do a series out in Fire Island uh, and I felt comfortable out there because uh, most of the, sh the shoots were outdoors. Most people have backyards near the pool or whatever, you know, it felt open. Um, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a safe distance kind of activity photographing. And I, I, and I, I actually uh, have been getting most of my friends to photograph me. Uh, again, I mean, it's, it's changing now. Who knows what's going to be happening in two weeks. But I feel like uh, I still have, you know, especially like in New York, because there's just so many people around all the time. No matter where you are, there's just like, especially because I'm in Manhattan. So it felt more comfortable and it feels more comfortable to have friends photograph me because we kind of just get out there. I show them what I want, to, where I want to be, what I want, you know, what the framing looks like. And then they just snap away. Um, so I found that more, I feel more comfortable outside yeah. and spending less time out there. Yeah, they, I, I loved your... Uh your space series the, the orange was so um iconic and with your your with your helmet and uh it was almost like you became a uh, a brand <laughs> that many people recognized 
Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah. As soon as you see that, you know, it's me. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm really working towards, uh, I've tried to, I mean, I have applied to the uh, Black Rock residency twice now. Um, I, I really feel that it, it needs to go there. I need to step on the soil that my ancestors walked on, you know, because Afrofuturism is about the past, the present and the future. And, you know, sort of thinking about, I think one of the things I love about it is that although we're talking about the past, we're kind of reinventing it and sort of, I think sometimes there's like, a, to me, there's a problem of, of just being like, 400 years, 400 years. It's it's so tiring. Like we all know that. So how can we, how can we switch that up? How can we use what we know from that time period to then go forward into the future and, and to really be free? Um, you know, I mean, it's not that easy. Um, I know, but in my mind, I, I have to look at these issues that I'm dealing with in a, in a positive way, like eventually we don't have to deal with this nonsense, you know, um, but it can be challenging. You know what I mean? I, I do my best to kind of um, find the energy wherever I'm photographing. Um, and sometimes it could be like something happy, you know, there's, cause I want joy to be a part of it. So, you know, I'm eating an ice cream cone and it's one of those um, chocolate and vanilla ones, you know, so just kind of throwing in that kind of thing, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and then, uh, Recently, I was in Tulsa, you know, and I photographed myself sitting on top of the steps of the stairs of no return. Right. Or, no, I think actually I think it's called the stairs to nowhere. Um, and then th those are the stairs. Do, do you know the stairs? I mean, Roger, I know the Tulsa story, but I don't know the stairs to nowhere. Is that part yeah. of the, the the bombing and what was left from the bombing? Yeah. So there's in Tulsa, there's a an area that I think I would say is at least five or six football fields. Um, and it's still just barren land uh, where all the houses of, you know, the kind of wealthy black people who live there uh, were got burned down. Um, but some of the streets, you can see these steps because, of course, the steps were, steps were made out of concrete. And so the steps are still there, like in the grass, you know. Mm -hmm but then it leads to nowhere. And I mean, talk about some ancestors talking to me then, you know what I mean? It's still, I still kind of gets my heart rate going, thinking about it. And that's the second time I had been to Tulsa. So it's not like I just learned about it, but I hadn't actually been taken to that particular part. And that's, that was really um, something else. So yeah, I, I think that the way that I'm weaving the story is, is in a way that will, you know, like a book, it'll have, you know, like happy moment, moments and climaxes, and then it'll have like sad moments in it. You know, eventually, though, we I'm going to be jumping from from planet to planet in pure ecstasy. And my handcuffs are going to fly off into the air or the atmosphere. And, uh, you know, I'll be able to walk into a bank and no one's going to think I'm going to rob it. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. <laughs> You know, Lola, thank you. you. You were able to combine careers, uh, photographer and art teacher for about 18 years. Um, how did teaching inform your photography practice? Yeah, I really. So when I first you know, got out of college, my mom was like, you know, why don't you be a teacher? Mm -hmm. My mom and my dad were teachers. And um you know, I was just like, I'd rather pump gas. Like, <laughs> you know, they should have slapped me, but they didn't. Um, and so I just was at that age where I, I didn't want to be like my parents. Right. And I just kept doing all kinds of, you know, waiting tables, bartending and all that kind of stuff. And then I think when I got into my 30s and I sort of saw 40 coming, I thought maybe I should listen to my mom. And, you know, especially that word pension. You know, that would really make me like my eyes like gloss over. <laughs> but, you know, eventually I listened to her and I became a teacher and I loved it. I think initially I thought it was going to take away from my art career. You know, I think I've seen I know I've seen art teachers who had artistic dreams and they lost them. And I didn't want to be like that. Um, so I started at this college in London and uh you know, it was just part time. So I think it was really perfect, you know, since it was just part time. 
And, and I noticed, I realized that, you know, the thing about teaching is that it really, one, keeps you abreast of the technology. Um, you get to know, like, all the, the music that's going on because the young people, you know, keep you uh, up on, like, Little Laws X or whoever is the current, you know, person, like, that they all love. Um, and, yeah, I, I used to think, like, I wonder if my life was, like, you know, Zanelli Mahali or Hank Willis Thomas, like artists who actually have assistants and studios, you know, I used to think, what would that have been like if I was going to, if I was able to just like do work all the time and not have to grade less and make lesson plans and things like that. Um, but now that I've just retired just a couple of months ago, you know, I'm actually very glad that I had the experience to work with the young people, especially the kids here in Brooklyn. Um, you know, I think 95% of our, our school was below poverty level. Um, and just to kind of walk in there and be like, you guys can do it too. You know, Miss Flash is doing it. And uh, just to also set some kind of example, you know, I think that the, the language that is in music now makes kids think it's okay to say those words. And so sometimes they're singing those songs in class. I'm like, that is not appropriate. They're like, miss, I'm just singing a song. I said, well, you're not going to be singing that song in my class anymore, are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and but I think also coming to it later. So I was less more like, um, I felt like kind of like grandma or grandpa flash, like almost like a Buddha. You know, I kind of came in and I sort of, my energy just kind of, you know, this kind of like calmness I brought into the room and like, this is how we are going to be in this classroom. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, as much as I, I love art and I'm so glad that I've been able to, to, to do art and to be an artist for all my life. Um, you know, there's nothing like seeing a kid who's hungry and giving them a banana, you know, that instant gratification. I mean, I think that art works on so many different levels. Um, and I'm proud to be an artist, but being a teacher, you know, you can see a little ninth grader come in who can barely hold their head up and you see them walk across the, 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 um, the, the stage when they graduate, you know, I was always close, close to tears, whatever graduation would come because I, you know, it, it reminds us teachers of why we're doing it, you know, on a day to day, it's so grueling and so tiring and, you know, teenagers with all their um, teenage angst, which is natural part of growing up, but being around that all day, it's like in the morning, they love Miss Flash, you know, in the afternoon, like they hate me. It's like, what's going on? Who are you? You know? Right. right. But I, you know, I, I, I also think that it, you know, teaching and education is a reciprocal process. And so as much as you teach, you also learn. So my original question was, what did teaching or how did teaching inform your photography practice? I think uh, in the way that it, it informed my photography was, one, um, it made me realize what I didn't want to do. Like if students came up with certain projects, I'd be like, well, I'll help them with the research, but I definitely don't want to do that. Um, I also did a lot of um, I also did a lot of uh, other kinds of work. I did, um, uh, what did I do? Sorry. I did watercolor. I did um, color pencil, kind of graphic things that represented, that, that seemed a little bit like Kandinsky, uh, watercolors, you know, and I used all of my friends like Wengichi Mutu and lots of different, um, you know, uh, black artists that, that are quite current now, Derek Adams. So I used a lot of them as, as, as examples. And so I think that that encouraged my, you know, sort of pencil to, to, to paper kind of work, uh, which I enjoy doing, but I, I don't know if that will ever be something I would exhibit. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so, so much about learning how to be patient, um, listening skills. You know, if you're a good teacher, you get, you get really good listening skills. Okay. It helped me be able to be a speaker. Um, I'm getting ready to speak, uh, do the commencement speech for uh, Parsons on Wednesday. And uh, 
you know, there, I don't have any kind of nervousness, you know, I can, I'm like, if you can stand in front of a, a, a class of Brooklyn kids and keep them, you know, in their seats and listening, you can talk to anyone, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, and I think it also, you know, I think also, you know, waiting tables and bartending all along the, your life, you know, we, we sort of gain these skills. And so knowing how to speak to someone who is like, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if I say timid, but someone that's kind of a quiet person, uh, you know, I know that I should talk quiet. You know, someone I, I can see has a very big personality. I know that I have to like kind of rev up my voice and, and talk really loudly, maybe even stand on my toes. So I think just like my people skills, it, it helps with. Um, but yeah, I think really at the end of the day, it's um, it's about kindness. And I think that when you're my friends who you know have like corporate jobs, I feel like there's not a lot of kindness at their jobs. They just have to kind of like do their work. But the people that you know I worked with, I was with. My, the staff I was with was, you know, for over, we worked together for over, many of us, over 11 years. So you create this family of like-minded people, educators who are always working towards what's, you know, because education is all about what's the next new thing. And sometimes it, some some of the things are good, right? Some of the, the, the processes are, are uh, important to integrate into the kind of normal, you know, ABCs, so to speak. Absolutely. Great. You have a few significant cultural connections to Newark, uh, both through your father and through organizations like Al Jaira and a recent Rutgers exhibition. Can you tell us about a couple of them, your, your Newark cultural connections? Yes. Well, my dad being the first one who taught at uh, Malcolm X Shabazz for, I think, over 30 years or something, and I, I remember coming, to, going to school with him a lot. And they kids were always so sweet. They were like, "Oh, that's, you know, that that's that's your dad, right?" And we would go to to field trips and everything. I, I remember that being really fun. Um, and picturing black girlhood uh, moments of possibility is now uh, in. I have one piece in there, and uh, it was actually just re reviewed in the Guardian paper, which I was really excited to see. Um, I'm excited about that project because at first when I heard the title Black Girlhood, it, it just seemed so binary that I was like, I don't think I can be a part of this. Um, but the photograph that I have in there is actually of uh, one of my friend's young, young kids. He's probably three um, and he's wearing a dress. And, you know, during sort of from sort of three to four to five, I believe he did like wearing dresses. You know, his sister, he had a sister, she would wear her dresses. Um, and so, you know, he grew out of that, but the fact that the parents were letting him uh, explore his gender mm -hmm. was it's very important, I thought. And, um, and so that picture is there, um, but they also have some other images of girls uh, some girls that look like me um, often uh, when we think about black women, you know, you, you some people might think of like the church ladies with the beautiful hats. Right. Uh, but I don't think when you say black woman, people think of someone who looks me, who is very, um, you know, I have short hair. I wear masculine clothes and have done ever since I was four. In fact, I just remembered I used to go to Newark to um, there was like an army, big army Navy store down there. My dad would take me to, this, to the, um, the army Navy store in, in Newark. And, you know, I wouldn't have to go to the girls department. We would just go straight to the boys department. So, you know, this is for me, this is the kind of woman I am. Right. I don't want to be a man. I'm not trans. I'm a, I'm a woman. And this is the kind of woman I, I am. And so I find this kind of like, exclusion frustrating at the same time you know that there's i can't imagine like the last day of my breath that all the things i want to cover are going to be uh you know okay or you know banished but uh you know it's just yet another thing there's a show that just opened up here at um photographica um it's called black venus Right. Um, and the same thing there. There's just an erasure of, of, of black women that look like me. Now, um, now, you mentioned the show just a few, the exhibition. Can you be clear? Is that at Rutgers? Was that the exhibition at Rutgers? Oh, so this one, the, the through, through uh, 
Oh, sorry. This one picturing black girlhood. Yes. Yes. Let me just, I just Googled it. So I should have it right here. Um, it's at uh, Express. Newark Express. Yeah. Newark Express. It's okay. at North, Newark Express. And it's, it's massive. They did an amazing job of curating, of um, just using all the different spaces. It's yeah. Some places yeah. are real big. It's, um, a, a it's a beautiful, beautiful exhibition. Yes. Yeah. Right in the Hain building. Yeah. Hmm? They, well, in the Hain building in uh, Newark. Yes. They did right yeah. downtown. So I. Yeah. That, uh-huh. And so that's a that's a really great. I love the you know, I love the people that, that organized it. Um, and I love the fact that. So that was my point. Well, that's why I got a little bit off track was that there are photographs of girls who look like me. Mm-hmm. in that exhibition so you know when i said to them like this is too 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 close this is too close this is we don't talk it's you know things are much more non-binary now and so um i i just was glad that they took the time to talk me through it and to to also include all kinds of black girls um and then I recently saw, um, I went over to Newark to see uh, my friend Louis Carl's, Louis Carl's uh, photographs, which were at the Paul Robeson camps, Campus Center. And I believe that's part of Rutgers. It is, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, um, you know, he's someone like me who has been photographing um, the queer community forever. And uh, he's finally getting, you know, his comeuppance, which, which I'm really happy about. Um, yeah. So uh, other than that, I used to when I was a kid, I used to love to go to Newark with my high school when I was in high school. So with my friends, Gloria and Pat. And, you know, we used to always look and do a lot of window shopping. Yeah. And I can like I, it's as if it was like yesterday, I could remember these these uh, shoes that I got that I just begged my parents for. Um, and they had like, you know, they were like about four inches off the ground. Oh, yeah. Platforms. So, yeah, there we go. I, I bought these platform shoes and I remember looking at them every time we go, you know, to Newark, I would just look at them and be like, oh, you know, I have to get them. And finally, my, my parents bought me them. And, and then, of course, like probably the next day I, I was walking down the steps and, and turned my ankle and sprained my ankle, <laughs> which they told me what was probably going to happen. But, uh, yeah, I used to, we used to go down there and just kind of window shop a lot, um, you know, Newark. I guess because I grew up in the suburbs, Newark was kind of, it was a city, right? And so we weren't really allowed to go until we got old, older. Yeah. Yeah, but it was only minutes away, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, last but not least, one of my favorite truths is that art changes minds. What necessary change do you plan to help come about via your art practice? Well, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's actually quite simple. You know, um, I believe that everyone in my community is beautiful, be it the queer community, um, the Black community, um, or even the female community, you know, we all are beautiful. And because America in particular is so America centric, you know, there, there aren't a lot of like definitions for beauty. You know, you think about like what Alaska, there's like a hundred words for snow. Right. And so we, if you think about, if I think about my African ancestry and I think about, you know, like, uh, verbose, you know, larger women, women are beautiful. Right. And it's like, it's the opposite here. So I I want people to, to really look at the beauty that my peep, that my, the portraits are showing. Um, Because at the end of the day, it's really what's on the inside. And you can see that by the expressions, you can see that by people's uh, body language. Right. Um, Sometimes I feel well even more so now i've been feeling i've been getting a little bit more of an ego and i not because i realized the work that i've done is is pretty damn good you know and i was raised not to 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 be like that but i realized at some point you know if you're not patting yourself on the back then 
right? If you're not loving yourself, who's going to love you? It's the same kind of thing. And I feel like people are always kind of like amazed at how they're like, how do you get that look? How do you, how do you get that? You know what I mean? And it's, it's really magic to be honest with you. It's like, it's kind of like a, a, maybe it's like a witch's brew of like magic, um, being humble, knowing the importance uh, the sense of pride that I was born with and just knowledge. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like we, my dad had friends who were doctors, you know, many of them that came from Newark, my uncle Tommy, um, our house, our first house was built by um, Mr. Simmons. I forget his first name, but he was an architect by black architect, you know? So, so yes, I grew up white middle-class and I'm not ashamed of it. And with that comes the knowledge that you can do whatever you want to do, right? You see a different kind of path than maybe others might see for you. Mm -hmm. And then you have all these people around you who are continually supporting you and pushing you up there. I mean, that's for me, when I think about where I am now with, you know, all the acquisitions and the African-American National African-American Museum of History and Culture, you know, they have, uh, they have six pictures sorry they have seven and um you know it's there aren't a lot of queer black girls that can say that they're they're in these these institutions you know and it's not it's not a mistake and it's it's just the beginning you know and so it's um at the end of the day I, i just hope that people can take the time to 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 look below the surface You know, but it's not really an American thing, you know, like fast car, shiny car is more the kind of way that America, Americans live. But I think that more and more people are thinking about or society is thinking more about our planet, which we pretty much mess up and thinking about food and really kind of deconstructing, deconstructing a lot of the kind of norms that I grew up with and, you know, doing a little bit more soul searching. And so again, that could be my kind of, you know, artists, like everyone's going to be singing Kumbaya together. (laughs) But uh, at the end of the day, I hope that people both see the beauty in my portraits. And I hope that other young queer folks in particular see themselves and see that they too can be happy. And, you know, with so much suicide happening with young queer folks, trans folks, um, it's, uh, if I could help with people seeing themselves and help with people feeling more, um, more beautiful, more necessary for society. Cause, you know, although we are kind of, in the society now where many people dress alike and look alike, that's kind of the fashion now. Um, but I think that they're these young people, to be honest with you. I mean, I do miss my students because I just have this feeling that they're going to, to do a better job than, than my generation did. They're, they're much more inclusive already. A lot of them don't even feel the need to, to say their sexuality, right? They're just kind of like, they're kind of a, I think they're kind of bisexual or they don't even feel like they have to ascribe to right. these, these categories that, that we have made. Yeah, you know? They're allowed to be, you know, fluid. Yes, for and, sure. And I think, but you know, so I, I want to thank you because your work over your, as you said, your four decade practice has been a, an incredibly important conversation. I, I believe that art is this way of having a conversation with a variety of different people and a variety of different ways. And your photography, your portraits, your even I, we didn't get to talk about your uh, non-portraiture series, Quartet. But I, I think, again, this I, this conversation that you're having that, you know, the world is so rich. There's so many people that we need to reach out to, people we should be listening to, people we should see. And I think that's been your incredible contribution over your practice. And it's also been fun. It has also been fun. So 
thank you. Thank you for this time that you've shared with us. And um, I look forward to seeing what you're going to do next. Yeah, well, next is going to be uh, residencies. I've got one coming up at the uh, Airy in, um, in Everglades uh, in October. Um, I've applied for a couple of other ones. In the, I, I just found out that the, um, the national parks have residencies. Many of them have residencies in them. No, that's so I've, I've applied to, yeah, so I've applied to one in Hawaii and one in Depth Valley. Um, I'm still going to be bugging Black Rock people. If you're out there, please, please, please help me out. Um, I just saw a really great, or just listened to a really great uh, program moderated by my friend Renee Musai called Through a Different Lens, Commissioning Artists, Just Diversifying Collections. And they had uh, someone from uh, the VNA and the Tate talking about ways that they are looking to diversify their, their collections and bring new artists in and commissions and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I'm, you know, just so thankful that I was able to to retire so that I can sort of spend these last, I don't know, 30, 40 years. I don't know how much longer I got, but I'm excited, excited to uh, to be able to just really focus on it. I'm actually, I'm still mentoring, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? I have a couple of mentors, mentees that I'm working with. And, you know, it's, I think when you're, when you come from teachers, it's just, it's, it's in our blood. So I think that there's just no way that I will not ever be able to not teach. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. just it's part of my, it's part of my, my fabric. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, again, thank you for your time and thank you for the work that you continue to uh, produce and share with us. Thank you, Roger. I'm glad we finally got a chance to, to do this. And um, it's always a pleasure when I bump into you, uh, hopefully we'll see each other. It's some art fair. Are you coming over for APAD? A- oh, absolutely. One. Absolutely. Okay. So maybe we can talk about meeting during that. Yeah. Yeah. Text me when you come because I'm not sure exactly what time I'm going to be over there, but I'll yeah. be there. Great. All right. Well, listen, you take care and uh, be well. Tune in next time for another conversation with our guest. We'll share their Newark, New Jersey cultural journey. If you'd like to share your Newark, New Jersey story, Go to our website and submit your unique journey on our contact page. I'm your host, Roger Tucker. I look forward to sharing these fascinating Newark, New Jersey conversations with you sometime soon. So long and be well.